The Marvel's director plans to combat superhero fatigue. Blue Beetle's first reactions hit the internet. Gal's Wonder Woman 3 claims are debunked. Plus, some big Doctor Strange 3 rumors. That news and more awaits you after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Multiverse News, your source for information about all your favorite fictional universes. My name's Matthew Carroll, and with me on the panel today, we have Jay Sisson from Commute the Podcast. What's up, Jay? Oh, not too much. I'm excited to be here and talk a little news. Sweet. Jay Scotty St. Clair from Animation Deliberation. How's it going, Jay Scotty? It's going fantastic. Looking forward to another riveting edition of Multiverse News. Me too. And Haley Hobbs from Source Pages. What's up, Haley? What's up? Sorry not to be a J. We have such a nice thing going with those two. <laughs> <laughs> My actual name is J. I just go by Matthew. <laughs> I just go by Haley. It's not it's yeah. not too late to be Jaylee. It's not too late. You could be Jaylee. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I don't like that at all. What you <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> You're just Jaylee from the block. <laughs> Up first, superhero fatigue is a term that's been tossed around a lot lately, and the Marvel's director, Nia DaCosta, chimed in on the subject while speaking to Total Film Magazine. She expressed her belief that superhero fatigue absolutely exists, but that her upcoming MCU entry will stand out as wacky and silly in its depiction of bright worlds that have never been seen before. Does DaCosta's description of the Marvels align with our hopes and dreams for the sequel to go higher, further, faster, baby? We can certainly hope so. You know, I'm, I'm pretty excited for the Marvels and the fact that Nia DaCosta is attached is a big reason for that. Uh, the only other film I've seen from her was Candyman, but that was a really, really solid entry. So I think Marvel has a, a really good pick when they decided to uh, recruit Nia DaCosta. In terms of these comments, you know, superhero fatigue, am I tired of hearing about it? A little bit, but I think I have more tolerance for it than maybe your average MCU diehard just because I, I you know, I... I don't think it's entirely unwarranted. I think it is an interesting discussion topic, especially as we're like kind of at this paradigm shift when it comes to this content and the kind of the reception to the MCU as a whole. So, um, you know, describing the the flick as being different for being wacky and silly, I kind of, you know, take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because that doesn't sound all that different for Marvel. I mean, you know between Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Love and Thunder, mm. we've seen a lot of wacky and silly entries in the MCU. So true. Yeah, I, I guess my hope would be is that, you know, with her being 
a new filmmaker. I, I hope you know she's given a lot of freedom and the ability to express herself, but maybe she's given a little more oversight and restraint to, than someone like Taika Waititi. You know, I, I think he just took it a little too far with Love and Thunder. So I hope we find a little bit of a balance here. And uh, you know, I think the cosmic side of the MCU especially has a very defined look and visual language to it. So I'm not sure how much the Marvels will be able to deviate from that. But as far as including, you know, a, a trio of strong female leads and especially like Amon Vellani as Miss Marvel, like I've sung her praises a lot, but I think she's going to be bringing like that kind of different energy where she might feel a little bit like a Spider-Man in her enthusiasm, but she's definitely bringing her own twist to that. So all in all, uh, I'm pretty excited for the Marvels. And I think, you know, uh, Nia DaCosta makes some great points about superhero fatigue. If, if we're going to keep talking about it, we have to talk about the solution to it and pushing the envelope and, and you know, creating interesting stories and characters and stories that serve those characters like we've heard other creators say. Yeah, I guess this is just going to be a question that every director who directs a superhero film is going to be asked from now on in interviews. Like, uh, do you believe in superhero fatigue? But then what is your movie going to do differently to make sure that people come to the theater and are not fatigued <laughs> by it? You mm. know, like, what what are you bringing to the table that's a little bit different? We've seen these comments kind of get thrown around. And uh, Jay Scott, I think you said it said it uh, and hit the nail on the head. I mean, that that is a conversation that whether or not you want to have it, it is being had. I mean, it's being had right. at the box office. You can see it in the numbers. Uh, you can see it in the reviews. Uh, and so it does need to be dealt with. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> it just seems like it's just kind of one of those like questions you always have to have an answer prepared for if you're directing one of these movies, uh, because it's it's the conversation right now, you know, for better or worse. I think that the Marvels is going to have an uphill Climb only because it's three women headlining a movie, and there's going to be a faction of the world that isn't okay with that, and they don't like it, i.e. the reaction to Barbie from mm. certain population, but that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. I think it's a narrative we can expect to see dominate some of this film, though, and that makes me really sad, because I think it looks like a great time. I know when Matt and I broke down the first trailer, we were just, like, giggling like little kids watching it, because it's funny, and it's fun, and I think we need some of that infused into the MCU. This year hasn't had a lot of funny, light stuff. It's had Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which was a heartbreaking thing. And yeah, it ended on an up note, but I mean, a, a lot of us cried a lot during that movie. And then we had uh, Secret Invasion, which was, you know, see last week's rant to see how we <laughs> feel about Secret Invasion. And Loki will be great, but it's not really upbeat necessarily. They're facing a a dimensional crisis here. So um, I think we need this, this fun. I keep saying fun, but I think that that's what this movie is going to be. Mm. The words wacky and silly feel weird to me. Like, I feel like those are the, like, I don't know, lighthearted fun. Like there's lots of ways to say like, but wacky and silly worlds feels like a really weird thing. And it does remind me of what they did with uh, more Ragnarok and, and Thor Love and Thunder than uh, with Guardians, you know. Mm -hmm. um, th th those feel wacky. And I don't know if that's what I want from a Captain Marvel sequel, but like based on the trailers and with Iman Vellani's Miss Marvel in there and with the Flurkin featuring prominently, like – it does feel like maybe that's what we're getting. So I'm 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 down. I'm excited about it. As for um superhero fatigue in general, it's weird because it's like it's a self-fulfilling narrative. Like I feel like when you ask that question, you're fulfilling the like you're pushing that narrative by asking the question, but it's also a real thing. So it's one of those weird things where like you you need to talk about it like like Jay said. Like it's a real thing you need to talk about, but like also it's 
by talking about it, you're perpetuating this idea. And I actually think it's kind of more of a cop-out or an excuse than it is a real like problem. I mm. think if superhero movies adapt and change and grow and like become interesting, more interesting and they adapt to the times. Like I don't think superhero fatigue will be a problem. I think when it becomes a problem is when they're failing on other metrics and then everyone starts to go, are these valuable? And because they stop being valuable, like it's not, Mm. it's not, it's not that they're, it's not fatigue. It's these movies just aren't keeping up. And so we're not being infused with new energy into them. So um, I think we're we're facing more of that with these movies than we are, and not just Marvel, but all of the like superhero genre. And the stuff that's really blazing new ground is more like stuff that's sort of questioning the genre, like The Boys mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, God, I, you, you're gonna kill Invincible. me, Jay Scotty. For an, thank you, that's the one <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of. Yeah. Invincible, things like that that are co- like really. They're, they're meta examinations of the superhero genre. Sure. Um, and, I, and I think there are other ways to grow the form that are not meta. Um, but I think that's, that is what, that is, I think when the creative well starts to run dry, we all turn to meta as like, well, now, now let's analyze what the last 20 years have been about instead sure. of like trying to grow the form. I think things like, um, they, it's not exactly superheroes, but everything everywhere all at once is a genre science fiction sure. multiverse hopping movie that does bring a lot of new stuff to the table, you know, yeah, stylistically, yeah. Uh, conceptually, sure. like thematically. Like, it's, it's that's the kind of thing where I think these movies should be going, right. but the formula is so set that it's hard to blaze those trails. Yeah, it's not a superhero movie, but I could totally see you taking the plot for everything everywhere all at once and making it a Marvel movie and it could totally oh, work. Yeah. You'd have to know you may it has action sequences and, and, and whatnot. You might have to like plus up a couple of sequences here and there, but outside of that it's right there. And I, I do think it's a good point that you bring up there, Matt, because it's almost like attributing everything these changes to superhero fatigue is almost like taking something away from Barbie. Like you look where audiences are starting to gravitate now. And it's more about what Barbie's doing right rather than what superhero movies are doing wrong. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, up next, DC's latest film outing, Blue Beetle, hits theaters later this week, and initial reactions from fans and press screenings are resoundingly positive. Describing the flick as a surprisingly solid superhero origin film with a winning performance by Sholo Maridueña, plenty of heart, humor, and a warm embrace of Latin culture. Do these first impressions do anything to impact our anticipation for Jaime Reyes's debut, or will Blue Beetle end up having more buzz than bite? I've been excited for Blue Beetle since the trailer came out, so I'm glad to hear the screenings are going well. Brian and I just covered some Blue Beetle comics last night on Source Pages as our primer, and we were talking about how we feel about the DCEU and the DCU, and I said, I really feel like The Flash was supposed to, in my mind, this is how I view it, is kind of the end of the DCEU. Blue Beetle is really the beginning of the DCU. And I think they chose a fantastic character to start with because I think the vast population of people that will go see the movie aren't going to be super familiar with Jaime Reyes, and there's going to be a population of people who really are. And I think that He's kind of a character that a lot of people can identify with. He's young, he's Latino, he's family-focused, he's kind of the fish out of water, gets chosen to be the Blue Beetle. He doesn't really get a choice, but um, in the comics they come to an agreement by uh, he and the Scarab. And so I'm really looking forward to this. I think 
like we were just talking about with the Marvels, we need this infusion of fun, and I think the DC needs it as well. And so I can't wait. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how this movie is going to perform at the box office. You have to be kind of careful with the initial reactions because they tend to skew extremely positively. A lot of these early screenings, you're inviting people with the intention that they'll go out and they'll promote the movie. So you're inviting like an Instagram influencer or something to the screening. And then the idea is that they'll go out and they'll post that they were there and post their reaction to it. And it's always positive because these people want to be invited back. Uh, now, tomorrow, if you're listening, if you're not listening to us live right now, when you're listening to this is the day that the review embargo will officially lift on Blue Beetle. And you can kind of dig a little bit more into what critics are saying and uh, people who are in the industry, what they're saying about it. But it does seem like it is skewing positive. Uh, this movie is going to need a lot of word of mouth, I think, to perform well and uh, will kind of determine what the future of that franchise looks like. If it performs well, you can expect to see the character and the franchise grow. And I think that at least here on this podcast, that's what we all want to see. But a lot of that's going to depend on just the conversation that's generated around it and how people are going to go out and tell people to see it. Or uh, is it going to have a cinema score that's going to carry it through multiple weeks? It doesn't really have a whole lot of competition, which is a good thing. But, uh, but we'll see. It's going to be a really interesting case study, though, coming off of The Flash and then coming into this new DCU and kind of being right in the middle, bridging these two worlds together. Man, I, hearing you talk about that, Jay, and like what this might portend for like the future of the DCU and stuff. And, and Haley, you said this is the beginning of the DCU, possibly. It's kind of like this was definitely in the works before James Gunn took over. I don't think this is his project, but it is something that... Uh, could exist in his universe. Um, and it's just so weird to me because like, I always want them all to be good. Like I want every superhero, I want every movie to be good that I, that I watch. But like, part of me is like, I want to see James Gunn's vision and the more things they keep from the old universe that he wasn't a part of is like the more things that will be like holdovers. It's almost like if this movie is really successful, and I would love that. I think it would be awesome if this was like a great, uh, a great outing in superhero movies. But then, like, if it's wonderful, then James Gunn's like, okay, well, we gotta fit that in here. And like, what is the? How does that narrative change if he's like, okay, well, now that that locks in the time period, that locks in the sort of style that we have to match up with, like what city, different cities look like, or whatever, like how good this movie does could change the course of James Gunn's DCU, which is mm -hmm. like a really weird and strange thing to think about just because it was already out before he was there. I don't know. It's weird. Hmm. But he's the one calling it the first DCU movie. It's just not the first one that he and Peter Safran have helmed. Yeah, He's kind of saying that for all the things though, because he can't, he can't destroy these movies before they come out. So he's like, Aquaman may continue. Yeah. And then he's like, and the flash, you know, he, he very yeah. well may continue. He was stumping hard for the flash out there. He was yep. like, it's yeah. one of the greatest superhero movies ever. And that right. backfired, but he has, he hasn't backed off the blue beetle. I mean, he is, uh, he does seem to be doubling down on the idea. Like this is a DCU movie, um, but you have to kind of get into the mind of fans, our fans and the general public. Do they accept that? Do they see it mm -hmm. as the first DCU? movie you know i mean yeah. that that changes 
that's a whole different conversation. You know, we can get into the nuance and cut up his quote and say, well, yeah, I think it is DCU, but how are the, how's the public going to react? You know, I, I bet a lot of people right. are sitting home seeing that and they're like, who's that guy? Is he Marvel? Yeah. Is he DC? Is he, is he with Captain America? Is he with Superman? Like average viewers, um, we have to kind of get into the mind of, of them too when we're trying totally. to analyze like how is this going to go over. We're going to talk about Wonder Woman 3 later, but we talked about it last week and we talked about a lot of like the murkiness that has come about because of James Gunn's comments. And I think that puts some unnecessary pressure on Blue Beetle. I think the language has been something to the effect like Superman Legacy is going to be the first DC DCU movie, but Blue Beetle is the first DCU character. So like what exactly does that mean? And I, I think it kind of makes sense for him to not be super committal about it because it makes sense to kind of hold off and see how this movie gets received. And then you can kind of move forward because, you know, Superman legacy is not in any kind of production at this point in time, but I've been pretty excited for blue beetle since day one. And I do think the lead Jolo Maraduena, his involvement is a big reason for that. I love the character of Jaime Reyes, but I thought he was just really good casting and to see these, these reviews and the early buzz and to have him be a standout, like that bodes really well for me, but I can't help but compare it to The Flash, you know, this movie coming off the heels of Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and The Flash, where The Flash, we, we just talked about it, but the, res, the the crazy buzz that it was getting, like people calling it the greatest comic book movie of all time, but I think you look at the reactions for Blue Beetle, they're a lot more measured and not like as hype hyperbolized so that I find myself believing in them a little bit more. And I, I do think this you know, the movie has a chance to do a lot better than maybe some analysts are expecting. Maybe it will really, you know, yeah. find a place with the Latin audience and maybe be like their, their Black Panther or their, their Barbie or what have you. I, it's probably not realistic for to expect it to pull those kind of numbers, but um, I do think the potential is there. And uh, I was trying to like, you know, put the timeline in my head and think about when the strike happened and when we got the casting of David Cornsweet and uh, Rachel Brosnahan. And again, speaking to James Gunn's, like it makes sense that he wouldn't commit, but I, I just think like if they really do have confidence and faith in this movie and think it's as good as it sounds like it is, I really think they should throw some kind of like post-credit scene in there that says like this is firmly connected to the DCU and the future that you're going to see going forward. And I think that is the kind of word in mouth that will drive people out to go see this thing in droves. Mm. Yeah, that gave uh, Black Adam a lot of legs. Once that uh, report came out that Henry Cavill was in it, like you mm-hmm. started getting all those DCEU fans, which is a really large group of people. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that still are committed to seeing those characters on screen. And uh, that got a lot of people, I think, out to see that movie that wouldn't have For sure. uh, otherwise. That so, pisses yeah. me off. That makes me never <laughs> want to see a DC movie again. Like, hey, we're gonna, we'll talk about the, it when we talk about this Wonder Woman 3 right. drama because it's the same. It's all kind of the same thing, really. But the idea that you're like, all right, what's going to get the butts in seats? Let's put Henry Cavill in. And basically, as soon as we ride that wave of Henry Cavill being in the movie, let's announce he's not Superman anymore. It's like, <laughs> what? That's, that is that feels like using the fan your people's fandom against them or something. Yeah. It doesn't feel good at all. Yeah. The bait Ugh. and switch, the oldest play in the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. As of October 12th, price increases are on the way for Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN subscribers. Disney Plus, with no ads, will jump to $13.99 a month. Hulu, without ads, will increase to $17.99. And ESPN Plus will land at $10.99 a month. Disney will also offer a 
bundle price for all three that offers a 37% discount from the standalone prices. Uh, they will be pairing these price increases with a promise to crack down on password sharing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that worked for Netflix. I, I went out and got my own Netflix account. I mean, I'll, I'll mm -hmm. admit it on the air. I was sharing. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I am happy to report that I do still have my free Hulu that I've mentioned on this podcast before. Uh, I was given free Hulu by uh, Sprint back in the day, whenever I signed <laughs> up for Sprint, which no longer exists. But the free Hulu <laughs> still works, okay? So I'm, I'm in. I'm not really worried about this 1799 nonsense. But I think that... We're seeing this across all of these platforms. We're seeing Netflix and Max and all of these platforms are increasing their prices. They're putting in ad tiers. And to me, it's related to just the general conversations that we've been having for weeks about the strike and the entertainment industry and the disagreement on money and where the money is coming from and then where it's going and kind of how contracts are being drawn up in that new world. So it's becoming evident to me that streaming is an unsustainable model by these types of shifts that we're seeing in the industry. Because think about what television used to be, right? If you had a show and it was successful and you made about five seasons of it, you were up for syndication. And if you were on a popular show and you reached syndication, you could basically be set for life off of that. You would continue making money from the show that you were on for the rest of your life. That, in addition to the fact that when you made a project, a, a movie or a show, there was physical media sold of these items and you got a cut of that content of that money, right? From the physical media. Well, streaming killed both of those things. It killed syndication and it killed physical media. And so if you are on a show now and it's on a streaming platform and it just goes crazy and it gets really popular, that is not necessarily bringing in extra money to the streaming company that wasn't already there, right? Like your subscribers might be watching more of it, but it's not generating all of this extra income like it used to. And this is why you're seeing all these actors post pictures of their tiny residual checks and they were on these major shows and, and everything like that. Like that's the connection there between that. And so as we move into this new age, You've, you've got – people frame it as like, well, Netflix has just got like a treasure chest somewhere and it's just full of money and they're not giving it out. The money's not really being generated, I think, like we've been led to believe. Yeah. And the more and more people pop in, that is not going to boost your, wa your wallet if you're someone who made the show or if you're someone who's on the show. It might get you like another season. Right, like right now, something really interesting that's happening is the show Suits is blowing up. Right, Suits I was like a law drama that. from yeah. like uh, years ago, and Meghan Markle was on it and everything, and it had right. a pretty successful run. But it's like blowing up right now. So it went dormant for a long time. Well, Suits getting super popular right now. That doesn't mean that the people that were on Suits are getting more money, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not it's not generating more income that people are out watching Suits. And so there's a problem there, right? Because you're making a successful thing and you're not seeing these residual monies like you used to. So I don't know. I, I kind of feel like what we're heading for uh, is a world where you stream like you buy on iTunes, right? Like you're, you're on a platform, you buy the ability to watch a certain show. And then when that show comes out, you uh, that's dropped into your feed uh, on that mm. show and you pick and choose what you're going to watch. And then more people pick and choose a certain thing that brings more money to that camp. 
and um, you know maybe buy a season pass for Marvel or whatever and on your Disney Plus subscription, and uh, you're going to see money kind of fill up where people are watching. But man, all of this is related. It's related to the strike. It's related to the writer strike, the actor strike, the residuals. It's it's all part of the same thing that we're kind of looking at here. And I know that was a really long answer, but it just kept coming out. So <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let somebody else talk. You. This is a safe place. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I think that it's all heading towards a collapse of the amount of content being made. and It's heading towards, I think that the last, whatever, 15 years of streaming or however long it's been has just expanded. And you hear this all the time. Like Netflix has given a show out to every YouTuber. Like it's just that kind of like silly jokes where like everyone gets a streaming show. You get a streaming show and you get a streaming show. And like, I think that that's going to end and they're going to make like, it's going to turn into old TV, which was like only the shows they'll, they'll do a lot more like piloting of things and they're going to have to learn to pick and choose the content that's created. And, you know, that's always been a dubious process because the things that the suits want, speaking of suits, uh, <laughs> are, is different than the things that the people want. And you got to somehow find that balance. And it, it, on, on, on TV, it ended up being like basically prestige drama, procedural like cop shows and like reality TV. Like that's just what right. you get on, on traditional TV. Cause it's like what people watch. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to have to like aim and target shows like they used to, instead of just like throwing spaghetti against the wall. And then the one thing sticks. Um, but what that means is a lot less shows, but hopefully more quality, but we'll see. <laughs> that makes me think of something we haven't talked about on this show, which is that they just put, Ms. Marvel out onto network television mm, to premiere right. it. And I thought that was super interesting that Disney decided to do that because it's to your point, Matt, are we going to go all the way back to how we used to watch TV? And I could absolutely see it happening. Things just take cycles in that way. And we've known for a while that streaming has been getting out of control. We It started during COVID when we were all home and they were like, ooh, people are going to watch all this content if we put it out. And it's like, actually, no We'll watch good content if you want to put that out, but not this crap that you put out on all your streaming channels. And I wonder if... I, I haven't seen how Ms. Marvel did on the network television stuff, but I, I found it fascinating. They chose mm -hmm. that show to do it specifically and that they did that with purpose. And sure. I'm curious to see if they're going to do it like with Secret Invasion, which was just kind of widely panned there at the end. And is it going to get a different take when this different audience watches it? Mm. Yeah, we're kind of watching studios realize in real time that streaming was a mistake and that it's mm. not sustainable <laughs> at the model that it is right now, I think. Yeah, when Netflix rolled it out, it was definitely a disruptor. But I really do appreciate like the thoughtful analysis and conversation that's been had so far because my initial reaction to the story was like, yeah, of course they raise prices. And I just kind of rolled my eyes at it. And am I going to pay the extra few bucks a month? Yes, I am. But you know, with <laughs> Disney Plus in particular, it seems like the, the frequency of those emails telling me that my price is going up is a little more frequent than some of these other ones. And mm -hmm. uh, this one's a little bit of a tougher pill to swallow because of Hulu in particular. Hulu has been my preferred streaming service for a long time. And like I've been going to that one over Netflix for a long time. It's like the house of all the FX series. It's got the Hulu revival. Or I keep doing that. The Futurama revival um, <laughs> on Hulu. And then uh, Only Murders in the Building, its third season, just started mm -hmm. airing. So there's a lot of great content there. But I think this most recent price hike, if I'm not mistaken, it makes it the most exp expensive streaming service in my in my arsenal. Like it's more ex expensive yeah. than H or Max, which is, which is pretty crazy. But uh, – 
I, I do think we talked about baiting and switching earlier on. I think, you know, one of the the conceits of streaming is like the ability to watch without commercials. And I've gotten so accustomed to that, like, I I can't stand commercials on like network TV mm-hmm. anymore. And like, I'll, I'll put up, put up with them on YouTube because they're, you know, pretty specified to me and kind of tailored to, to what I'd be interested in. But yeah, yeah, this is just a really interesting thought. And I, I agree with everything that's been brought up. It's all of these compounding factors that have been, um, not fully, I guess the weight of them respected the, all this time. And now it's all coming to a head. So it's a really interesting time to be, um, you know, a watcher of TV shows and a consumer of content, but I don't, I don't know what what it's what's going to mean. I'm just along for the ride like the rest of us. Speaking of going backwards, I, it's real weird. Uh, I went. Uh, my girlfriend uh, moved in here, and she'd been living with her parents, and they have cable, so she'd gotten used to waking up in the morning and watching like the news on the actual cable, right? <laughs> and so she just bought Sling for the house here, uh, just so she'd have something to be able to get up and watch the news. And she was doing YouTube for a while, but she didn't like how it wasn't immediate and stuff. So she's like, I'm going to watch the news. So they're doing that, but that means we have Sling now. So I've been like watching regular TV the last couple nights, just like clicking through channels just to see what's on. Just Cause Hey, I got this new, it's like a new toy. It's like a 20. It's like, it feels like taking out an old, uh, like SNES and like playing it or something. Like sure. I'm slipping through the guide. It like <laughs> takes forever to go between channels. You know, it's like, it's, it's weird, but I ended up watching like three straight days of a marathon of Portlandia, which okay. was great, but it had the weirdest artifacts of like Portlandia. They'd have this Portlandia like image come up and it'd be like, it's a Portlandia, you know, marathon. And it was just this thing that was going towards the screen and backwards and towards the screen. And it would do it for like three minutes at a time. (laughs) Okay. And it was just like, like, it's like no one's watched, no one's paying attention over there. Like it was Mm. like, it's something like it was like an ad break, but there weren't enough ads. And so like this thing was just coming towards the screen and away from it was the weirdest. (laughs) Like I was like, I felt like I was watching like, I don't know, like a college radio station when like it hits dead air for three minutes or something, you know, somebody, messing up in the studio and i'm like this is like this is on ifc or whatever and i was like what is going on right now okay sorry that just had that was related (laughs) but it just feels like that's such a like weird dead area to like think we might kind of have to somehow go back there i think the big thing about tv that is successful that's hard with streaming streaming has the same problem blockbuster had where you go into blockbuster and you look for three hours before you find the movie you want to see sure. like streaming is the same way whereas tv you just turn it on and it's on something and something will catch your eye and you watch it and that's why i think tiktok is kind of like the new tv you're swiping you're just like oh that's the next thing on okay 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 that's the experience that i think like streaming has never figured out they just press the button and it just is on a thing you want to watch and you just skip through channels or whatever like i think if streaming could crack that i think they might find find new audiences for new content use that same sort of algorithmic tiktok type experience to like introduce people to the first episode of a new show or like you know where they're just like i don't know what to watch play like a random button on netflix would be kind of awesome especially if it learned what you liked you know i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think that's the first time you brought that up i'm trying to i think i think it might have been when we were talking about barry that you brought up that that similar concept i do think Mm. it's a good idea yeah, I, I I think it's something that's just missing. What was the oh my gosh, I'm blanking. What was the streaming app that they tried for a while that completely failed where it was like ten minute episodes or whatever? Oh 
not to be that's uh no it was something like that though yeah it was like supposed to be on your phone and they hired all this like a-list talent to be in these like super snippet projects yeah, right. it, it, Quibi. It's Quibi. It's Quibi. 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 <laughs> it quick, yeah, because it was Quick Bites or something like that. It was Quibi. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're 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 doing like full on movies per style production. Oh, it was like they were the biggest failure of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like maybe not every single streaming platform is going to be equally received. But, <laughs> yeah, the failure of Quibi restored a little bit of faith in humanity to me because when I was like, "This is what people are interested in. This is what people are interested in," because I have You're no like, interest yeah, in this em. whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve to fail. You have failed this city. Marketplace of ideas, baby. <laughs> All right, up next, the latest rumor being reported by several less than official outlets is that Marvel Studios plans to adapt elements from the 2014-2015 Time Runs Out comic storyline for a third Doctor Strange film. If the rumor is to be believed, it would see the flick pick up immediately after the events of Multiverse of Madness, with Strange encountering a multiversal organization called the Black Priests, of which Clea is a member. They inform him the multiverse is decaying due to multiple incursions. Also, the threat that Strange himself presents to the multiverse, as highlighted in Multiverse of Madness, would reportedly be a focal point. In the grand calculus of the multiverse, do we take any stock in these rumors and what they could mean for the fate of Marvel's Master of the Mystic Arts? Yeah, I think this is pretty interesting. Obviously, it is a rumor, so there's the possibility that it's all hogwash. But in terms of being a possibility, I, I kind of like the sound of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we did have incursions laid out as like the latest, greatest threat to the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse as it is now. So uh, knowing that we still have Secret Wars on the way and like, you know, some of the story beats that are being mentioned here, particularly Strange himself being kind of the greatest threat to the multiverse, I think that was John Krasinski's uh, Reed Richards line in Multiverse of Madness. In our experience, Doctor Strange is the greatest threat. So um, thinking about some of the characters that kind of have to come to the forefront and knowing Doctor Strange's relationship with Doctor Doom and how much of a factor that was in Secret Wars, I could kind of see like, you know, the MCU's approach to Doctor Strange right now, like he's not the cleanest of heroes. Like he has like some questionable actions. He has some baggage. And um, especially in that depiction of uh, what if, where we saw like the totally sinister version of strange. And then in multiverse of madness, we got to see a couple of unsavory versions of strange. I think there is, you know, a distinct possibility that we might see one of our heroes actually, you know, go the villain route. We saw it with Wanda, but there's debate about how much that was earned. And um, so again, taking it all with a, Pretty big grain of salt here, but uh, I do think, you know, as a big Doctor Strange fan, if this is the direction they choose to take the character, it's one that I'm certainly interested in checking out. I think this is what MCU fans think they want from the movies and shows right now, is these extremely continuous lines between each property, so from one Doctor Strange film to the next or whatever. Um, The cool thing about if they do do this Time Runs Out line, it does go right into 2015 Secret Wars, which we know that's what they're going to base those films in the future on because they're Mm -hmm. more recent. That's what they've done kind of traditionally. They pull from the older stuff, but a lot of the main through lines in the movies and the shows come from more recent comic runs. And so the cool, cool thing about Doctor Strange is that they're sticking very closely to some of the source material because he's such a rich character to explore. Like Scotty said, 
I almost called you Jay. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to call both of you Jay from now on. Um, <laughs> like Scotty said. All right, Jaylee. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Strike. I re- reverse it. It's gone. <laughs> He's, um, he gets to go on this really interesting journey through the comics. And I think we're seeing that in the MCU. They're, they're st- sort of holding true to that because he has so much potential to be uh, like a reborn character that we can live through the MCU with in a way mm-hmm. that... You know, we can't with Tony. Tony's gone and he's gone. And that doesn't have to necessarily be the case with Stephen Strange. It's got a lot of really fun potential for the future. Fun is my word today. I'm sorry. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) All I've got is fun. (laughs) Haley's just trying to have a good time, okay? (laughs) I need need a good time. Yeah, I, I think uh, everything you mentioned, Taylor, is great. I always like when the sequels to these movies have a really good through line. And, you know, the first uh, Doctor Strange movie was the first, like, glimpse of the multiverse that we got. The idea that there's these other realms and universes and what they might mean and the dark dimension and how do these dimensions and universes and everything collide and what do they mean? And, like, all of that stuff was first introduced the, the, when, uh, you know, the ancient one, like, hit him in the head. And you're like, oh, that's the trip through the multiverse. We got it. Um, and now we're finally reaching the multiverse saga, so it makes a lot of sense that he would be a character that would bring us into uh, the sort of wrapping up of the multiverse saga. And then in uh, Doctor Strange 2, we got those lines about him being a threat and Clea picking him up at the end. And it all just sort of like leads directly into that. And I think this is, this would be a really good move for what I love to see is when a move is good for an individual storyline and the overarching MCU. And I think this could be that, which is something they've struggled with lately where they make decisions that they think are good for the overall MCU and not good for the property they're creating. Um, And so I think this, this this seems like a good thing. Uh, yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm pumped for it. Up next, according to insider sources via Variety, a third Wonder Woman film is not in development at DC Studios, despite recent comments from Gal Gadot claiming James Gunn and Peter Safran told her they would develop Wonder Woman 3 together. The sources also indicated Gunn and Safran do not have plans for any Wonder Woman project in the new DC Universe at this time, other than their previously announced Paradise Lost prequel series for Max. Given the still very formative state of Gunn's DCU, do we chalk this confusion up to miscommunication, course correction, or something else? Man, like what happened in this meeting room? Because I think the the meeting had to have happened. I mean, because the the question is like what there's kinda of like three possibilities, right? Like one is that James Gunn said this to her and she went out and said it and then for some reason took it back. That doesn't make any sense, right? The second thing is that like James Gunn never said this to her, and she, for some reason, is just lying about it, which also doesn't make any sense. And then the last thing, which I think probably, I mean, I guess it could be a miscommunication, but what I think probably happened is he probably did say this to her, right? Like, that's, if she's going to go out and say, like, well, yeah, I mean, last time I heard we were developing a Wonder Woman 3, somebody's told that to her at some point. And so for her to come out and like what she you're going to get out on a limb and be like, well, we're going to make a Wonder Woman three and try to roll the dice and see if they bite or whatever. Like that's nobody would do that. That's that's not the business. Right. So I don't know. 
Uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, supposedly leaked that Deadpool, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. first five minutes or whatever. Like it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a thing that's been done before to get those like juices cooking. If and I mean, uh, not to jump forward to our poll, but our poll this week, sixty three percent said they would uh, love to see Gal Gadot return as Wonder Woman uh, in our in our poll this week. It's like you could see how this might. Maybe she heard she wasn't in it, and she like. Well, what about if I was and see what the internet says, you know, like <laughs> to, to me, the prior behavior of DC tells us everything we need to know, I think, though. Right. Because yeah. look back at the track record. Right. Like, think about the Henry Cavill thing that we already oh just gosh, talked yeah. about. Like, <laughs> you've got that. You've got the whole he's in a movie and he's Superman again, but now he's not within the time frame of about a month. So you got that. You got the comments from a few months ago where James Gunn said off the cuff, like, Ben Affleck's going to come back to direct. And Ben Affleck had to come out and be like, I never said that. I do not want to come direct DC movies. Then you've also (laughs) got the whole, like, Dwayne the Rock Johnson thing where he's coming out being like, well, they kind of backstabbed us. Uh, We, you know, making this movie and told we were going to be able to throw Cavill in there and do follow-up. And then they're like, no, no way, you know, or whatever. This, This has been a pattern of behavior at DC for a long time. And what I I think the problem is going to be because the new leadership was supposed to fix this. They were supposed to come in and be the friendly to the creatives and friendly to the directors and all this type of stuff. James Gunn's silence on the internet about this, that tells me that he told her this. Like, because yeah. James Gunn is not the kind of person to be quiet on social media whenever things are being said about him or his projects in the media. He responds a lot to people online. So the fact that he hasn't said anything about this major story, that tells me that, yeah, he probably overextended a promise to her in some way, or even if it was a miscommunication, like it was strong enough to where she Mm -hmm. thought that this was happening. So to me, like if uh, I think the problem here is if you're talent or if you're a producer or if you're a director, you're starting to like not really want to work with DC that much. Like if I'm a manager, because this is, pretty embarrassing if you're Gal Gadot's camp. I mean, this is mm-hmm. like, and this is not the first time that they've humiliated a, a person like Henry Cavill mm-hmm. comes to mind uh, right. in front of, in, in the media. And so to me, if I'm a, if I'm like the manager of an up and coming talent, I'm trying to kind of tell them to steer away a little bit from these DC projects because it makes me nervous to get them involved with this kind of a uh, structure of, of films and movies, which is traditionally just, kind of been really really messy for everybody involved don't you do rachel brosnahan that way <laughs> yeah. i feel like a really wise wise woman on a podcast called source pages called this <laughs> many many months ago i swear to god as soon as they said james gunn i was like are you sure about that <laughs> and i like i think he's a fantastic creative but we're seeing already we're seeing fallout of his lack of management of his communication and at this point i would almost tell dc just back off like i don't want to lose rachel brosnahan any more than you do matt i freaking Mm -hmm. love her but i would almost if i was ceo over there i'd be like pump the brakes pump the brakes you know what animation house you're doing fantastic you go do your thing my adventures with superman all i've heard is amazing things about it let's keep doing that live action we're gonna go have some lengthy, several years long discussions about what's going on. And I almost think they need to just ground everything and let things, and I mean, I'm talking about like a couple of years, (laughs) take it off because they are doing nothing 
but shooting themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. these movies like Blue Beetle, which I'm really looking forward to, and is a film that can be such a great representation tool for so many people in the world, is going to be torn apart because of this crap. It's mm. like actually kind of making me mad. <laughs> Where's Peter Safran, by the way? Like he's like, I forgot I worked for DC right. for a little bit. Like, right. yep. is he just hanging out? Like, like he was <laughs> he was supposed to be this guy. Like he was supposed to be the business, mm-hmm. the public relations, like right. the working with talent. Like that yep. was supposed to be his his corner. And he's James Gunn's just you know just doing whatever he wants. Well, mm-hmm. and this is why Kevin Feige never talks hardly. Like like mm-hmm. until something's uh, <laughs> long past decided, he doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. And like. When people talk, he gets his like sniper rifle out, you know, like that's the whole joke <laughs> because like people don't leak at Marvel much, it happens, but like it, it th- those things are rolled out deliberately. And like James Gunn went over to DC and he's like, Here's my full script or whatever. Like, I haven't, I, <laughs> like, it's just, like, what are you doing? Like, roll these things out with. Uh, you know, intention. There's no roadmap, and you yeah. can't convince me. Like, yeah, he rolled out. This is the slate of things like he wants to do, and I believe that those are the things he wants to do. Yeah, and I don't believe that that's a true roadmap. The way, I mean, you can say what you want about the MCU right now, and you can say what you want about Marvel, and a lot of people are, but you cannot deny the incredibly dominant success that was the Infinity Saga and how it totally changed landscape for filmmaking, and that mm-hmm. was done with intention. And with direction, and it wasn't done like, hey, gal, like in the back room, hey, yeah, we might do a Wonder Woman 3 because you're great and we love you and you're a great Diana. And then, like, let her die out on a ledge like that. It's just not okay. If you want to cut the cord with gal, then cut the cord. Like, it sucks. 63% of us would love to see her continue, but this is cruel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just trying to look at the situation objectively, I do think this is the right course of action to not have Cal. To not have Gal. <laughs> Cal L. You're out, Cal L. We do want Cal L showing up sooner rather than later, but yeah. He's out too. Yeah. <laughs> Even if, you know, like we kind of talked about last week, if Gal does make a return some some years down the road or something like that, we need to spend a significant amount of time away from these characters and especially the fact that she's a member of the Trinity. So is it entirely possible that Gal just threw caution to the wind and shot her her shot and wanted to see what was happened. Yeah, I think it's totally possible, but I do tend to lean like you brought up Jay. Like I, I do think James Gunn told her something to this effect, and the fact that you look at where this news is coming from, it's they just say sources, but it's the reporting has been very definitive. Like this is not happening. Like this is coming from very high up in a very official source that's choosing not yeah. to disclose themselves. And I think James Gunn has just found himself in this position where he wants to be the nice guy. He wants everybody to like him. He's going to, he's going to be the yes man. He doesn't want to have to make these hard choices. And if he is making those hard choices, he doesn't want the blame or the fallout that comes along. Mm-hmm. With that. So, uh, you know, thinking about the next time that we're going to see wonder woman or any aspect of her world really is with this, this, uh, Paradise Lost series that's coming out on Max. And the one thing I remember hearing about is that it's going to have like an almost R rating and kind of lean closer to the tone of like Game of Thrones. So in that sense, like, you know, we have seen Gal be a a warrior and have some awesome action sequences, but just hearing about the tone of that just sounds like they're taking Wonder Woman in a completely different direction. And I think, you know, staying away from Gal and, and getting us, 
used to the idea and ready for a new Wonder Woman is just the right way to go about it. That's the DC playbook. They that's what they've always done. They use the trades to do their dirty work. Like Gal mm-hmm. or James Gunn didn't want to call up Gal Gadot and have this conversation with her, so he just tells Variety, like, "Hey, uh, actually, we're not doing a Wonder Woman three. You can go ahead and run that tomorrow." Like, yeah. that's that's not good business. Like, that does not mm-hmm. make talent want to work with you on any level going forward. Yeah, and he's yeah. never had any qualms about clapping back at people. Like you mentioned on social media, somebody reports something incorrect, he's quick to be like, no. And yeah. he hasn't been doing he's that as come much after lately. Me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's move it on. We've already talked about the Spotify poll kind of mixed in there. So let's move on to the lightning round. Uh, well, uh, you guys know how it works out there. They've been listening. I'm going to say a story that we're not going to spend as much time on. And everyone gets to chime in with their name to buzz in and say uh, if they'd like to claim the story. And once the story is claimed, you it's yours to talk about. Uh, and everyone gets one rebuttal throughout this entire lightning round. So here we go. First story, Dracula-inspired newcomer The Last Voyage of the Demeter uh, could not compete with Barbie and Oppenheimer's continuing box office reign, debuting to a disappointing $6.5 million domestic opening. Oof. Jay. Scotty, go for it, Jay. (laughs) I was just going to say, you probably have like a more nuanced take on this. I was just going to say, this is the second property about Dracula this year that has bombed Uh at the box office. So maybe we don't want to see Dracula stories anymore. Just maybe. (laughs) Like maybe the people are done with vampires. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'll chime in with a rebuttal and say I saw two movies this weekend, and one of them was The Last Voyage of the Demeter. The other one I saw was Gran Turismo, which has had like an interesting release strategy. It was supposed to come out this weekend, but ended up delaying a couple of weeks because of the ongoing strikes. And I have to say, looking at these numbers, Gran Turismo made the right choice. Like just the staying effect of Barbie and Oppenheimer is just mm-hmm. eating up all the competition. And we talked about last week how we had four newcomers or uh, – Maybe not four, two newcomers, but our top four, like they all had grosses that were more than $20 million. And then this next week, and it's just, we've talked about this pie and there's not enough pie to go around for these, yeah, these newcomers yeah. here. So, uh, yeah. And I think Barbie reached another milestone and has become, officially become Warner Brothers' highest grossing release of all wow. time. So, wow. Uh, it's a Barbie oh. world. Go Greta. <laughs> go Greta. Go Greta. And. What did the DCEU do fumbling that ball? That's crazy. Uh, up next, uh, Barbenheimer, drink your milkshake. Um, <laughs> up next in our lightning round, the first trailer for the John Wick spinoff series, The Continental, has dropped. The series will debut on Peacock beginning September 22nd with two more installments the following weeks. Matt. Uh, I uh, really think this trailer looks cool, and I was really uh, blown away by some of the action that they're doing. It really looks like they're going to live up to the John Wick name with the action, and I had no idea what the story was about, but it looks like it is about uh, the character who is the head of... Winston. Uh, yeah, Winston, who's the head of the Continental in the in the John Wick movies, it's sort of his origin story as that, and I think that sounds really fun. And uh, yeah, and and the guy the guy playing him did a really good job. A couple of the lines were delivered like with so much Winston sauce on them. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm really into this trailer, and I'm excited to see it. Johnny Hardwick, the voice actor who played Dale on King of the Hill and was also a producer and writer on the show, tragically passed away last week at age 64. 
Hardwick was attached to reprise his role as Dale in the upcoming King of the Hill revival for Hulu. Scotty. Yeah, this is a tremendous loss. It's it's unfortunate to you know, lose talent, especially this young, and when they have projects actively in development that they were clearly looking forward to, to working on. And Dale Gribble is one of the best characters of King of the Hill, and I don't know what the show's going to look like without his influence. So um, at this point in time, I, I think I read that he had recorded at least a couple of episodes, so we'll probably see some kind of send-off to the character of Dale Gribble, but they have not had any discussions about recasting the character. And I have to imagine that they'll probably not go that route. And I think it is the correct route to go. So uh, condolences to his friends, family, and fans. Absolutely. Netflix is the fall of the house of Usher, uh, an eight episode limited series from Mike Flanagan based on the works of Edgar Allan Poe will premiere October 12th. Haley. Uh, I have not actually read The Fall of the House of Usher. I've read several of other Poe's stuff, but this sounds really cool. I'm always into these like literary takes, um, like the, A Haunting in Venice that's coming out in September, which is based on Agatha Christie novel. And so let's get something a little different. That's how this feels to me. I'm kind of down with that. I, I wonder if it's going to be like... Oh gosh, Castle Rock. Did you guys watch Castle Rock at all? Mm -hmm. uh, that was the show based on um, Stephen King's world of stories, but it was it was all of them sort of living in the same town. So you kind of got little pieces of all of the Stephen King stories. Each episode was sort of a different one, building to a climax at the end of the season with sort of all the different mysterious things happening in the town, which I thought that was neat. And this saying it was it's based on the stories of Edgar Allan Poe. Not just that one. That would make sense because I don't think you could do eight whole episodes on the fall of the House of Usher. <laughs> I don't believe so. It was a short story. So. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, a McDonald's collaboration with Loki is on the way with a special version of sweet and sour sauce <laughs> coming to restaurants in celebration of the upcoming second season of the series, which is set to begin streaming in October. Sky. Go, go ahead, Scott. I just hope MCU fans can conduct themselves in a in a more respectful manner than Rick and Morty fans did. That's what I was going to talk about. Yeah. Gonna talk about. It's, like, it's, it's my one arm. It's my one arm man, Loki. I need, I need that sweet and sour sauce, Loki. I knew I could count on you guys. I was like going to let somebody else have this, but I was definitely going to bring up the Szechuan sauce. Like, did McDonald's not learn its lesson? Like, somebody in a boardroom was like, you know, it would be a great idea. Like, there's a th thing coming out. Let's make a special sauce for it. Like, dude, we saw, we've seen this story before. It was a disaster. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They learned their lesson. It had a huge cultural impact. <laughs> they just got to actually do it this time and not like have people dancing on countertops wanting it. <laughs> you guys see these videos? Like, so I have insane. no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> Someone explain. I, I, I shouldn't there, be giving rebuttals. There was a publicity stunt a uh, couple years back when Rick and Morty, third, its third season came out. The character of Rick was talking about this Szechuan sauce that was only available during the promotional period of Mulan and McDonald's being the co culturally aware company that they are decided to bring back the Szechuan McSauce and people did exactly what you expect they, they would do. And they didn't have enough of the sauce. Like <laughs> yeah, was a they didn't problem have enough too. Like, so people were showing up being like, I want the sauce. And they'd be like, well, we ran out of that four days ago. Well, then people would throw like huge hissy fits and like, um, yeah, it was it was just a mess. They they totally underestimated how many people would go nuts for it. 
Right. It was worse than that. It, first of all, Rick and Morty is a bunch of trolls. Like their fan base is full of trolls. And so all these people showed up and they said it was coming out at a specific time on a specific day. So like it wasn't just like it ran out. They just didn't make enough and they didn't send it to all the stores. So I went to get Szechuan sauce. I was one of these people and they just didn't have it at my local McDonald's. They only sent it to certain stores. And so these people like – and they used Rick and Morty-like art for like the campaign, mm. but it was not connected to Rick and Morty at all. They just did sort of like Rick and Morty-esque stuff to sort of connect it to it without connecting it. And it was really shady. And so the, they kind of deserve what they got, but they got people literally like marching on countertops and screaming for Szechuan sauce <laughs> and like rioting at McDonald's for Szechuan sauce. It's, it was amazing. This sounds really dumb. <laughs> it is. It's co- it's colossally stupid. Like I mean, it's like it's like it's so stupid. But like, hey, we're it's time is a circle. We're we're back to we're back to uh, right. sauce it's promotion. All about the simulation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, a majority of the main cast of the show Parks and Recreation reunited on the SAG after picket line last week, including. Oh, sorry. Uh, the <laughs> it it uh, it some. <laughs> Jay, Jay, I, thought, I just thought that you were looking at it like, who the fuck is Lil Sebastian? Like, no, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. But you cl- you clicked right below it, and so your name appeared over the next words. Oh, I mean, okay. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> Sorry. Makes sense. Your 5,000 uh, candles. Oh, gosh. <laughs> hey, save it for your response. <laughs> so there's a couple of people that want to chime in this on this. This is the only reason I put this in here is because I knew that there would be this response to it. Like I was like, <laughs> like I, I highlighted, I was like, I shouldn't put this in here. And I was like, wait a minute. I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, oh, I've got yeah. a dark take this, on this. This has got to go there. there. <laughs> oh, I think I had the same dark take. <laughs> <laughs> is it, is oh, it yeah. zombie no, Sebastian? Bottle it up. Bottle the horse it up. Is dead. Bottle it up. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, bottle okay. it up. We haven't even read the story yet. A majority of the main cast of the show Parks and Recreation reunited on the SAG after picket line last week, including an appearance from Pawnee's favorite miniature horse, Lil Sebastian. Haley, you mean little Sebastian the fifth or whatever? Like yeah. the horse even like they killed the horse off in the show, which aired forever ago. Yeah. Uh, and you know, here's the travesty. Chris Pratt wasn't there and he couldn't sing Five Thousand Candles in the Wind. Oh, <laughs> that, is, that is a tragedy. All right. Uh Deadpool spoiler. According to a rumor reported by the Diz Insider, pop star Taylor Swift will make an appearance in Deadpool 3 as the X-Men character Dazzler. Jay, uh, the Eras tour just made over a billion dollars. So yeah, if you're Ryan Reynolds, you're like, how can I get a piece of that? Um, yeah, uh, Ryan Reynolds is uh, pretty close friends from what I understand with Taylor Swift too, like him and Blake Lively are like they're, they know each other really well or something like when they did the Deadpool announcement video with Hugh Jackman, that was actually, I think in Taylor Swift's house or something is what I read wow. somewhere. So yeah, there's a, I mean, it's a rumor, but it's from a pretty reputable source uh, for the most part. And it just makes all the sense in the world. All the sense in the world. Completely agree. In a Variety interview conducted before the SAG after strike, Sydney Sweeney confirmed she is playing Julia Carpenter, aka Spider Woman, in the upcoming Madam Web film. Haley, uh, <laughs> I- I'm not excited about these Sony spinoffs. I think they're a challenge. Uh, I will go see them, of course. 
But maybe because we know Craven got pushed already from its release slot, maybe that's okay. This will keep. I mean, Sydney Sweeney, I don't know much about. I think she's in that Euphoria show, right? She is. Yeah, yeah. She yeah is. I don't care about that. And then um, you've got Dakota Johnson, who I also don't care about as Madam <laughs> Web. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and I can't be the only one. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> it does feel like these are different like Venn diagrams of fan bases. Like I like euphoria a lot, but like the euphoria and Sydney Sweeney and the like people, which can be a good thing. It can cross pollinate and bring people in that wouldn't otherwise go see it. But it's, it's, it feels like a weird choice. Would they have like a MJ spider woman crossover on euphoria? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. There's too much. So. Yeah. There's too many, uh, too much deep connective tissue there. Like the Zendaya <laughs> factor of like, yeah, it yeah. makes my head hurt. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Yeah, yeah, it would be great if on Euphoria we just learned that it's like been it's been Spider Man's high school all along. We just didn't know it. Um, actually, no, that's weird. Let's not take that. Um, in what would be a sign of progress in a months long labor dispute, striking Hollywood writers are expected to respond this week to the latest contract proposal from the major studios, according to two sources with knowledge of the talks. Jay, um, this is uh, good news because it does seem like there's some movement, at least, uh, even though the Writers Guild is probably going to respond and say, it's not good enough, come back with another offer, because it's the mm-hmm. first offer, you never take the first offer. But the fact that they're having talks, they had not had talks up to this point. <laughs> it's just wow. been like, a, I hate you and I hate you too, like there haven't been any talks <laughs> at all. Uh, and so to see at least an offer, that is movement, at least, in the right direction. Bob Iger's like, I gotta, I gotta be the hero again. Like, give, give me, give me some good yeah. press here. <laughs> I'll, I'll chime in to say that like both parties involved declined to comment, and it's interesting again that the sources of these are just sources that are close to the talk. So it feel again, it feels like this is information that these parties want to get out there, but they don't want to play their hand. Yeah. Uh, but we're getting at that point where it's like the longer this goes on, like something's got to happen and we're going to talk about uh, a creator that felt just that way here in a little bit. But uh, mm, one yeah. of the things that was kind of like across the board pretty much confirmed is that they've made concessions. The, the, the studios and the producers have made concessions when it comes to uh, some of the AI aspects of things. Like they pretty much agreed to say, okay, every script is going to have at least a, a human writer credited. So mm, the rest yeah. of it, that's good. Just, We'll see what shakes out. Yeah, we're in the danger zone here, and everybody knows that. Like, if uh, these, if these, stri- if this this particular strike, the writer strike, continues for much longer, you're not going to have a false slate of TV. So we're kind of, right. we're kind of mm. to that point where something's got to happen, or we're in for the long haul. Probably, it's already mm-hmm. been the long haul, but it's going to be even worse. Yeah. Producers Phil Lord and Christopher Miller have explained why changes were made to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man Across the Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, let's, Spider-Man. Try, let's try, try that to imagine, again. Like the plot of that movie. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Man. <laughs> I can't quit you. A journey of self-discovery. <laughs> I can't thwip you. That was bad. I can't thwip you. I like that. <laughs> Good, good job. Good, good blessing oh, man, there. That's Skates. so funny. <laughs> Trying that again. Producers Phil Lord and Christopher Miller have explained why changes were made to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse for its digital release, with reasons that include international cuts, multiversal concepts, and general improvements. Scotty. 
So I have not rewatched Across the Spider-Verse since it's been available on uh, the home release here. Uh, but, you know, I, I generally trust Phil Lord and Chris, Christopher Miller. Like, they are producers. They're not the directors. But um, I remember one of the conversations when, uh, you know, Across the Spider-Verse is still in theaters, but when it was, like, you know, the mainstay at the theater, the main attraction, um, people were talking about some of the sound mixing, how some of the the dialogue was lost. or Yeah muddled or, or what have you. So I know that they went back and made some edits there and, and we had, you know, one of the uh, editors talk about how there were multiple versions of the movie and the, the difference was dialogue. So I think this just speaks to the fact that they knew that there were disparate versions of this floating out there and decided to make it one cohesive whole on the, the digital home release here. So I will be excited to, to check it out and see if I pick up on any of these differences, but I, I trust them when they say it makes it a more um, overall, more polished experience. Mm. The, I, I'll give a tiny re- rebuttal since I've already given my rebuttal. <laughs> uh, the one that interests me the most is multiversal concepts. Sure. Like, uh, because we're having this multiversal crossing with all of the different multiverses, and they literally mention the MCU in that movie. Right. Uh, and, and as we talked about earlier, Doctor Strange, they mentioned Doctor Strange in that movie. It's, it's kind of wild. Yeah. So, like, I wonder what multiversal concepts they changed or refined, and I'm interested to like hear a breakdown of like what they did because I'm wondering if it's like trying to bring it closer to like the MCU and such, or bring it further away. Like mm. it's it's a really interesting, uh, interesting wrinkle there. Yeah, it's a good point. I'll do tiny rebuttal too. Tiny butt. Tiny I, butt. Uh, <laughs> Everybody gets one tiny butt as well. Tiny butt. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, never did go rewatch it because of the sound mix. I found it really uh, challenging. Like mm. when we left the movie, I was super overstimulated by it. So I think now that they've maybe made all these changes, I'll I'll definitely rewatch it. And I wonder if some of the multiversal stuff is the different clips that they show from the other Spider-Man movies and things like that. Oh, I wonder if yeah. they like swiped those out, swiped, swapped those out. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. See if they changed it. That would be really interesting. Up next, last story for our lightning round. Tron Aries director Joachim Roning took to Instagram to vent his frustrations about the ongoing strike and its impact on his film that was supposed to begin filming this week and instead had to lay off 150 crew members. Scotty. Yeah, I, I kind of feel for uh, Mr. Roning here because yeah, we've talked a lot about this strike and how pretty much all uh, creatives seem to be on the side of the strike with the exception of maybe like Stephen Amell. But uh, that's, that's a whole other story there. But to like <laughs> kind of have him like take this filter off and just like be realistic about it. And he, I will say like his comments as like um, – unabashed they were in terms of like venting his frustration about the situation. He was still in support of the strike, but I think he said something to the effect like this is Hollywood. We get deals done at breakfast. Like let's make this happen. So, you know, uh, I don't know how much influence he has. I think this is his first solo uh, directorial effort. I think he's uh, co-directed some some big budget stuff in the past, like the latest uh, Pirates of the Caribbean film, which I did not see. But being a fan of, of Tron Legacy or Tron and Tron Legacy, I'm uh, I'm excited to Keep an eye on this third film, and you know this is not an ideal start. So hopefully, this uh, halt on production doesn't, you know, impact things too too negatively. And hopefully, mm. he can go back to work soon. Hopefully, this all gets figured out, and the workers get what they're supposed to get. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, that 
brings to a close our uh, lightning round and our show for the day. Uh, let's hear it from uh, everybody where people can find you online. Jay Sisson. Well, you can find me at Commute the Podcast, a weekly educational show that will only take about 20 minutes of your time, where me and my co-host will cover three interesting things in 20 minutes. So if you wanted to know the history of the cha-cha slide, uh, we got you. That's one of our topics this week. So, you know, come on over and uh, learn something new on your way to get uh, on your way to work or wherever you're going. Cha-cha real smooth on the way to work. (laughs) As a wedding DJ and performer, I have to learn where the cha-cha slide came from. Uh, And uh, Jay Scotty St. Clair. Yeah, please check out Animation Deliberation. That's the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. And Haley gave a lovely shout-out to My Adventures with Superman. So we are covering that, as well as the Futurama revival I mentioned and uh, I also made a debut on another Stranded Panda show. I don't think the episode is out at the time of this recording, but I did join Ashley Coffin and Bill Bria on Bill and Ashley's Terror Theater to talk about Talk to Me. And that was a fun conversation. So I uh, look forward to that when it hits that feed. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you guys check that out for sure. And Haley Hobbs. You can hear me this week on Animation Deliberation with Zuhair Ali. We did an awesome Rebels and Ahsoka kind of breakdown and primer. So we talked weeks ago about if you haven't had time to watch Rebels or you think you won't be able to, we we broke down all the essential episodes and geeked out hardcore. But then uh, my show is Source Pages, where I co-host with Brian V. Klein. We read comics and novels as primers for all the geeky TV shows and movies you love, just like Blue Beetle. And then we'll be... Taking a hard right turn into Star Wars and Ahsoka. I am six episodes into Rebels. Uh, I got time, right? Uh, yeah, it's not just <laughs> it's just next week. Yeah, it's good. Totally were, you add, were you adding me whenever you said people that don't think that they don't have time? Was was that directed at me? Yeah, yeah it was actually. <laughs> it was a That's direct fair. attack. That's fair. <laughs> we did it just for you, Jay. <laughs> people that don't think they have time, and people who are delusional like me. <laughs> Uh, who think they'll, yeah, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I just want to say, though, they are pushing Ahsoka. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen them push a Star Wars television show before. Mm. So mm. I think that Star Wars and yeah. Disney's putting a lot of eggs in that basket. That makes me excited because I think it it's exciting me more than most of the shows. I, I love Rosario Dawson, and I think it's I'm really excited yeah. for this yeah. show. I talked about YouTube ads earlier, but I have been getting that one yeah. a lot that starts with Yoda. Always two, there are. Mm-hmm. A master <laughs> and a print apprentice. Yeah, yeah they're That's focusing awesome. on that a lot. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, guys, we will be back soon. I'm sure we'll be talking about all those things in the coming weeks on Multiverse News. Please hit subscribe. Please give us a five-star review. We uh, have had seen a, a lot of growth on this show, and we would love to see more uh, people finding the show. Uh, that would be amazing. Um, so hit that five-star review button or the uh, thumbs up or the like or just share us with a friend. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Peace. You stay classy, Multiverse.